Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Let's give it up for our mothers. Once again, happy Mother's Day. We are so excited to have you guys here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here. And it is a pleasure to have you here this morning. Go ahead and slap somebody a high five and let them know I'm happy you're here. Now, here's what I want you to do. Go slap a high five somebody you don't know. <laughs> that, that, man, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes, that is awesome. All right, so it is uh, a pleasure to have you all here. Look, traditionally, here's what most churches do. Uh, on Mother's Day, we preach a Mother's Day sermon. Well, I got to be honest with you. Um, we're not a traditional church. <laughs> but I will tell you something about moms. Um, we've been on a series called Unstuck. And, you know, you ever, you ever been stuck in life? You ever felt like, you know, you just kind of just not moving, you know, kind of stagnant, uh, struggling. Maybe, you, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out what's my next step or you're trying to make a next step happen. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about living life unstuck. And we've been in the Bible in the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians was written by this guy named Paul, inspired by God, to reach out to these people in Galatia. And the thing about these people in Galatia was that these were people who uh, came from a history of pagan worship. These were people that at one time prior to being under the rule of Rome that were a mercenary people. They were a people that were used to conquering and taking and making life on their own terms. And then they come under the rule and dominion of, a, of the empire of Rome and they get settled in this place that's called Galatia. It's called Galatia because these people were from Gaul. I guess maybe it was just to kind of make them feel a little bit at home. But in any event, um, this guy Paul... Uh, went there on three separate occasions. And when he, when he gets there every time, his main purpose was to point them to the truth. And today, I want to encourage you simply not to believe what I, what I have to say, because that's not what we're here for. I want you to simply consider the truth that the Word reveals. Now, Paul reaches out to them as a parent. And the tone of his letter, what we know as the book of Galatians, is all about redirecting them. Getting them to course correct. And, and the reason why I think about this in relation to Mother's Day is because the book of Galatians is a very personal book for me because it reminds me of my mom. Because my mom, where, where, when, when she could not get me to get it, when I was stuck in a muck like a duck and it sucked and I did not see it, did not know it, you know what my mom did? Instead of yelling at me and coming down on me and, 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 and beating me because she tried all that and it did not work with this kid right here. Five girls and one boy. I know what hell feels like. That was a lot funnier in my head. All right, let's just move along anyway. But my point is that my mom, as opposed to preaching at me, exemplified literally what this book of Galatians is all about. It's about freedom. It's about freedom, and there are keys in this book that really help us to live life unstuck. And so today, we're going to be picking up in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, and we're going to continue to look to the solutions that God gives us to living life unstuck. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to read verses 23 through 29. And as we're reading it, I want you to really consider 
what the scriptures are saying. Now, watch how Paul, inspired by God, starts. See, these people started off right. They started off going in the right direction. They believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. Now, you've got to understand where they were beforehand. They believed in pagan gods. What does that simply mean? That simply means religion. And if you look at all religions, for the most part, here's what you're going to find. It's based upon what I do for the God that I believe in. It's based on my sacrifices. It's based on my, my self-effort, my, my will, my, what I do for my God so that maybe I could find myself in his pleasing uh, uh, good graces. But Paul taught them differently. And these people from Galatia came to a point where they believed in Jesus and that began to radically transform their belief system and their lives. This church grew. These people grew in unity. They matured in faith. But then they began to slightly deviate. It's like when you're driving and you just look over just slightly to the left. You know where that car is going to end up going? To the left. Just slightly. You start off and go, ah, I'm still, you know, within the lanes. I'm good. But if you keep going long enough, you'll find yourself in places you never thought you'd be. And that's where the Galatians were because they began to believe what these Jewish Christians were telling them. They were saying, oh, yeah, you believe in Jesus. We do too. But have you gotten circumcised? How's that for church membership? <laughs> have you done this? Are you following these 613 laws? And so... Paul starts in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? In the original language, it alludes to a word that, that, that illustrates enchantment. It's kind of like grabbing your attention gradually and just kind of wooing you in. And here's what Paul says. Who's, who's, who's cast an evil spell on you? He says, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles, that just means people who weren't Jewish, that uh, look forward to the time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said all nations will be blessed through you. 
So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Let me read that again. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God blessed the Gentiles. Go ahead and tell somebody he's talking about you. Tell somebody else he's talking about me. So through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So I want you to just think about what we just read for a moment. And I want you to consider something that Paul begins to touch on. Notice that he says to them, who fooled you? How did you start off right, believing in God, trusting in Jesus, putting your faith in God's goodness, putting complete trust in the fact that your forgiveness is not based on what you do for God, but based upon what Jesus did for you? How did you start there and now somehow begin to deviate and say, yeah, I'm saved by God's grace, but I remain saved by my effort? How'd you get there? Who fooled you? Who enchanted you? Who drew you into that lie is what Paul is saying. But notice what Paul begins to say there. He gives us a key word. It's a key word because it unlocks a path for us, a path to freedom, a path to life unstuck. He uses this one word, law. And he talks about two laws. He refers to the law of Moses. What does that mean? That simply means is it's a law that the people of Israel say, Moses, we don't want to hear from God anymore. It terrifies us. You go talk to him for us. And here's what they say. They say, you tell God that whatever he tells us to do, we are well able to do it. Exodus 20 recounts what happened as a result of that arrogant, approach to God. 3,000 people died that same day. You know why? Because the moment they received the law, the moment they believed we could do this for God, here's what the Bible says, that the law produced death. The law produced death. So self-effort did that. But let's read verses 23 through 29. It says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. So this law had a purpose. It says we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. 
It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Let me read that to you again. We no longer need the law as our guardian. Let me tell you why that's important. Because if we are putting trust in what we do for God, then here's what we're saying. God, this relationship consists on what I do for you. That's not love, and that's not a relationship. That's a business transaction. That's I do for you, and as a result, you do for me. I didn't say that, by the way. God said that. God said that. And so watch what it goes on to say. Verse 26. For you are all children of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham, watch this, belongs to you. It belongs to you. And so what do we see going on here? Paul is identifying these two laws. He's saying there's one law, which is the law of Moses. You know that you don't have to believe in the, the first five books of the Bible to, or, or the Torah as it's referred to. You don't have to believe in that to operate according to that law. You know why? Because by nature, we all try to do something in order to be pleasing to someone. You ever been in that place where you say, you know, I'm a good person. I do good things. You know, I'm not harming anyone. Well, good for you. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But according to the scripture, if we are trying to justify ourselves just simply by the good that we do apart from God, that's operating according to the law. And here's what Paul says. It doesn't work. But then Paul introduces another law. He calls it the law of faith. And that's what I want to talk to you today about, the law of faith. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because in order to overcome one law, there needs to be another one put in place that supersedes it. Think of it this way. There was a time when all we could do was walk. And then this guy looks up in the sky and goes, whatever that thing is, that's pretty cool. And he began to draw it and to study it and examine it. And hundreds upon hundreds of years later, a couple of brothers get together, the Wright brothers, and they say, we're going to figure out this thing about flying. And they discovered what's known today as the law of aerodynamics, the law of lift. And here's what the law of lift says. The law of lift simply says this. If you can get enough power... To get up, you can overcome the power that grounds you, the power called gravity. And so let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Faith overrides and gives you lift to rise up above your circumstances when the very thing that says to you, no, 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 I just, I got this. You ever been there? I got this. I'm good. I'm good. How you doing, brother? I'm great. No, you're not. How about being truthful with ourselves? How about being truthful with, 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 with the body of Christ? How about being transparent and just simply saying, I'm not good. 
You know why that's important? Because when we can acknowledge where we are, guess what we can do? We can make room for another law to work. And that's where faith kicks in. That's where faith kicks in. Let me prove to you that we work until this very day, if we're not careful, if we don't grow in the understanding of the law of faith, that we by nature will stay stuck in the law of Moses, where it's based upon what we do. I remember a couple of years back, quite a few years back, um, my wife and I, we, uh, this is before we had started this church, we were in ministry somewhere else, and um, I had to travel, um, so we had decided we were going to go away for a few days before I was supposed to leave. And we, we just, we decided, you know, we'll go to the Amish country and we'll go watch some shows and we'll enjoy some stuff. And so we're out there. And uh, my flight was leaving on a Sunday. And so we made the decision, I made the decision, you know what, we'll just leave extra early Sunday morning. And we'll drive straight to the airport. You know where this is going, right? Yeah, that, it, it didn't quite work that way. Now, I made my flight, but I paid the price in the process. Because I'm coming up, I believe it was 81 or whatever it was, some back road. And I was doing like 90 in like a 40. Because I refused to miss my flight. I just had to get there. Because I was going to be a speaker at a conference. And so anyway, um, I'm flying and all of a sudden, you know, you know what happens when you're, you're speeding? You miss things along the way. Well, guess what I missed? I missed the police officer. And I see the lights come on, and I said, come on, dude. No. So what do I do? I pull over. He walks up. Big, tall guy. And he goes, good morning, sir. I said, good morning, officer. He says, you know how fast you were going? I was speeding, wasn't I? that a question? And he, uh, he says to me, yeah, you were going uh, pretty fast. I, c- I can arrest you for the, how fast you were going. And I said, well, let, please don't do that. I said, because I have a flight to catch, officer. And that's why I was in a rush. You see, I, I can't miss this flight because I'm supposed to be at this conference. I'm supposed to be speaking. And, and he looks at me. He goes, license and registration. He goes to his car and comes back, and he gives me a big fat ticket. And I dared not to look to my right where my wife was sitting the whole time. Mama Bear was not happy. And so I just stood quiet, and she just kind of just gave me that deaf look all the way. She was gracious enough not to say, I told you so, but, but let me tell you what I'm talking about here. We live in a world where we understand clearly this law of Moses. You do right to get right. You do wrong, you pay for it. We understand that clearly. We, we know it all too well. And this was the crux of the message that Paul was bringing to the Galatian people in chapter 3. He says, guys, you understand this new law that overrides This belief that somehow you make yourself right with God. That somehow you are the one, the initiator. You're the one driving the engine to make yourself go in this walk with God. He says, no. He uses strong language. He says, you fools. Who deceived you? How did you get to this point where you bought this lie? Look at verses 11 and 12. If we can put that back up. 
Watch what it says there, verse 11. It says, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Watch this. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Let me translate that for you. Through faith and faith alone in Jesus, you can have the life that God has promised you. So, so wait, so, yeah, God loves me, but what about all these areas in my life? Look, I'm not saying that we sit pretty on a couch and go, ah, God, you just do it all. No, the Bible says we have to work out our own salvation in awe of God, in reverence to God. But you see, here's, here's, here's the participation with God. Have you ever tried to change an area in your life and it just didn't change? You ever been there? I've been there. We've all been there. Some of us are stuck right there right now. And the harder you try, the less it works. Here's how it works with God. Well, I'm imperfect, but God, you came as the epitome of perfection and you became like me. And here's what the scripture says. The righteous died for the unrighteous. Right? The scripture said that you, beca- you, that you became sin. So that I might become the righteousness of God. And so wait. Let's do the math here. Right with God. Based upon what God has done for me. Wrong with God. When I try to be right with God based upon what I do for him. You know what that's called? That, ladies and gentlemen, is called religion. That's called religion. That's what religion is. And so watch verses 13 and 14. It says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. In other words, this law, this understanding keeps us stuck. He says, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. Verse 14, please. Watch what it says. Through Christ Jesus. What's that first word there? Somebody help me read that. Through, right? Through. Does that say through my behavior? Does that say through my appearance? Does that say through what I change? Watch what it says. It says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, that's you and me, with the same blessing that he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Through faith. Listen. Faith in Christ is a new law. It regulates our lives and it creates life change. And this law of faith works because it is not based on doing good to get good. Instead, the law of faith is based on getting good because we believe that what Christ did was good enough. It's very different. And so one law leads to death is what we see. The other law leads to life. Question, which law do you want to live by? Which one do you want to approach life by? 
And so the Bible records the life of this guy named Abraham. For the next couple of moments that I have here, I just want to kind of land right here. This guy, Abraham, was not unlike us, nor was he unlike the Galatians. You see, this guy, Abraham, also knew what it was like to experience life while stuck. He came from a place called Ur of Chaldees. And according to history, it's theorized that Abraham came through Ur 3, Ur of Chaldees 3. There was, there was three different periods, dynasties of Ur, of, of the Chaldeans. And he came from the third one. And these people were an advanced people for their age, for their time. These people built these really tall, beautiful uh, uh, edifices that, that, that just shocked the world. As a matter of fact, the Bible records in Genesis 11 that uh, the people of Babylon in Mesopotamia, that they, they, they rose up and they believed, man, look, we could build a building that will reach the sky. Well, that's these people. These people were advanced in science and all these things. And, and they were a wealthy people. They were sophisticated people. They built irrigation systems. Uh, they did great things that shocked the world. They led. The thing about it is that God met Abraham there. And says, Abraham, leave this land of yours. Leave all that. Leave your family. Leave everything and go to a place that I'm going to show you. This guy Abraham was a guy who held great promise for his life. His name, before it was changed to Abraham, implied by nature and announced to everyone that he was meant to be a great father. And so God calls him out and one day brings him before the stars and says, look at all the scars and count them. Count them if you can. I think Abraham probably got to the same place you and I would if we tried to count all the stars. Can't do it. And God says, let your mind begin to open up to what I'm going about to do in your life. I'm, as, as, as many as the stars are in the sky, so shall the nations, the generations that will come from you be. He promised him a son. And so this guy Abraham came to believe in God. In God. And the Bible gives us account of the fact that one day after his son Isaac, this son of promise, is born, that Abraham faces a serious test, the ultimate test of his faith. He had a choice. Look, he could trust in what he could do about the situation to bring about God's plan, or he could trust God. Let's read Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to see what the Bible tells us here. We're just going to read through this very quickly, and then I'm going to wrap this up with a nice bow. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. You know what I'm thinking right about now? As a father of two kids, this dude is crazy. And so he loads up the donkey. It says that he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Smart man. Son, you carry that. And he, and he himself carried the fire and the, and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called this place the Lord will provide. And to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So I'm going to just stop right there. And I want us to, just for the sake of time, I want you to see something that at this point in his life, Abraham has received the promise of God. A son. If you do your own research, when you get a chance, you'll find that him and his wife could not conceive. And then God shows up when the shop is closed and says, we're opening up the shop and you're going to have a son. And the Bible says that Sarah laughed. <laughs> it doesn't work. What's God talking about? And so the Bible says that they have this miraculous uh, conception. This child is born Isaac. And here Abraham is. He's, he has the promise of God through this child, through this young man. God is going to bless the nations. Many will come from him. I'm blessed. And God says, give them to me. Give them to me. You know, it's interesting that the word specifically uses, the scriptures use the word test. That word test there means to prove. But it's talking about a proving as in the testing of a metal or an ore to determine its purity and quality. It's kind of like what they do with precious metals. What they do is they put it to a, 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 a level of heat of about 1,650 degrees, and they take the precious metal, let's just say gold, and they mix it with lead, and they let it all uh, uh, melt. And then when they take it out, they cool it. What happens is this. The lead will uh, seep to the bottom, and whatever's pure will rise to the top. The lead will draw all the impurities. But here's the thing about this kind of test. This test is useful to prove the purity and worth of the precious metal, listen closely, to the purchaser. It's not for the reference of the owner. Why do I share that with you? Because this test was not for God. Now, I know that the scriptures say that God says, now I know that you will not withhold your son unto me. But you've got to understand what God was trying to do. He was trying to pull something out something pure, something of value in, out of the life of Abraham. He was trying to reveal it. And so Abraham had two choices. Trust God's plan and put my son on this altar or trust God's plan, but let me work it my way and I'll, I'll bring something else. I'll bring someone else. I, I, I'll figure something else out. And what we see here is that Abraham chose faith instead of his own efforts. And as a result, not only did his son live, Abraham also reaped great rewards. So what do we learn from the life of Abraham? 
What do we learn? We learn that Abraham operated under the law of faith. He simply trusted God. Now, here's the thing about faith. Faith doesn't deny the reality that the physical world exists. It doesn't. Faith, on the other hand, acknowledges that there is more to reality than just the physical. You got you to gotta get that. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't already exist. Understand something. Your healing is already present. Your provision is already there. Your purpose, your destiny is already at play. It's available. And here's what the Bible teaches us about faith. That faith is the tool by which we take hold of what already exists. Because God has already provided. You're believing for a child? Listen, if God has placed that desire in your heart, and God has shown you that you will be the mother, that you will be the father of a precious child, and somehow it's not working. Listen closely. The Bible tells us in Romans 4 that Abraham hoped contrary to hope. He looked past the hope of what his body said, and he put his trust in the hope that God's word revealed to him, the promise. And the Bible says that he received this child. Listen closely. Your faith, my faith, faith in Jesus is the tool that gives us the ability to step into the unseen and access what already exists in the mind and heart of God. Your faith gives you the right to possess what, God, what God's word guarantees. I don't have time to read it, but Hebrews 1, you can put it up if you want. I'm not going to read it. You can just check it out. But it talks about how faith is our assurance. And I love the way the Amplified Bible puts it. It says that it's the title deed. The title deed. Hey, how many of you own a home? Own a home? Cool. I, how many of you have spray painted in big letters outside your house? This, belo- this house belongs to Jose. This is my house. You know why you don't do that? Because you have confidence in the title deed that tells you it's yours. And if anybody brings it into question, here's what you do. Here's, here's my deed. I own it. It gives you all the confidence, all the assurance that you need. See, your faith in Christ gives you the right to possess what God's word guarantees. We can be confident in that. And this is where the Galatians went wrong. They they let go of the deed. And they acted like they did not have what God had already declared unto them through Jesus Christ. They forgot it. And instead they began to trust God. In other things, and they gave away the deed. But watch what 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5 says. It says, Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, in this world... We operate on get to give. I get so I can give. That's the mentality. We work relationships. We work religion. We work for world peace. And all these things depend upon what we do in order to receive a return. But as we've seen from the scripture, this mentality, this mindset, this belief system does not work. Instead of bringing the circumstances of life to its knees, you know what it does? It brings us to our knees. It leads us to a place where we struggle. 
This is where they were stuck. And back to Abraham, the physical circumstances that Abraham faced completely contradicted what God had promised him. But as Abraham headed up for the sacrifice, you know what he didn't see? A dead son. Abraham saw something greater. Watch what Genesis 22, verse, the second half of verse 5 says. Abraham says to the servants, you guys stay here. He says, we're going to go up and present the sacrifice, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. We'll come back to you. In Genesis 22, 8, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, you got to understand something about rams in this particular part of the, of the country. Rams did not go to those levels. They, they didn't go to high country. Rams didn't do that. And so you got to get what the Bible's revealing here. Abraham gets up there and he's facing the impossible. Man, I got to give up my son. And when he's about to do it because he's trusting in God, the book of Hebrews tells us that while Abraham was going to kill his son, he believed that God could raise him back up because he was the son of promise. And he's about to bring that knife down. And the Bible says that he looks to his right and there's a ram. Get this. God, God, God takes you in the impossible place and your faith begins to grow. And he meets you the impossible by bringing the impossibility. He brings a ram when it didn't belong and he says, watch me work in your life. And so on the way up, Abraham did not focus on what he knew. He focused on whom he knew. See, faith operates in direct proportion to the knowledge that we have of God. Watch this. Romans 10, 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing. And watch how hearing comes. Hearing by the word of God. You want, you want strong faith? You want to overcome the challenges the doubts. You want to overcome those things that keep you stuck? Here's the key. Paul's entire message is this. Get back to complete faith in Jesus. And by that faith, you'll grow. By that faith, you'll overcome. And lastly, I want to leave you with this. It's that faith doesn't work by chance. Faith works by choice. Faith doesn't work by chance. Faith works by choice. Abraham did not just believe in God. Abraham made the choice to act on his belief through faith. What does that look like? He had an ear inclined to God. He inclined his ear to hear God speak. Listen, he saw something more than the physical circumstances. But watch this. He spoke according to his belief. You know, if you listen to your words long enough, you'll hear what's in your heart. If you listen to what's going on with your mouth, it'll tell you a lot about where your heart is, where your belief is. I, I heard that question. I heard somebody think this. Well, what if it doesn't work? Faith doesn't make sense. Well, let me ask you this question. Well, what if it does? What if it does? What if faith works? See, faith works in every regard. Before you got to where you are, you conceived it in your mind. 
You believed it. Find yourself in a mess, guess what? You believed something and it helped you get there. It's faith in reverse. And so today as we stand, I want to leave you with these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 14. Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this to us. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God. And not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work, listen closely, in you. It is written, I believed, watch this, therefore, I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. Faith doesn't just believe. Faith acts upon what it believes in, in whom it believes in. And so here's the, here's the crux of everything. You find yourself stuck. But you find yourself today believing God. You find yourself saying, man, I've been stuck in a muck. Like a duck, yes. You can finish that for me. But this isn't where I belong. I've been trying to do this by myself for too long. Paul's solution, God's solution is this. Get back to center. Get back in that driver's seat and look straight ahead to what I've called you. Faith. In me. Amen. Father, we come to you today in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your word because it is truth. We thank you, Lord, that as your word declares, as the scriptures say to us, faith comes in the hearing of your word. And so, Lord, I thank you that today faith has its perfect work in us, that it's rising up within us, that it's given us vision and foresight and insight to that which you're calling us to do. I thank you, Lord, that today we're strengthened in the inner man. That the hope of our calling is clear, and it's Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, what does that mean? That simply means, I've never really looked to God. But today you find yourself trusting and believing that God is calling you out. That God is saying, let me show you something better. Let me get you out of this place where you think you got it all together. And like Abraham, let me show you a place that I have for you. If you believe that today... Here's what that simply means. I'm ready to trust God. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray this with confidence. I know that there's people online watching with us. If you believe this, if this is where you are, join us in this prayer. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. And I believe it's because you love me. Today I declare you my Lord and Savior, that you're my God.
And from this day forward, I'm trusting you. I'm following after you. And I'm living life in freedom, unstuck. Hey, if you prayed that today for the very first time, we celebrate all that God is doing in your life. Don't leave here without sharing with us your decision. We want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we celebrate Jesus. We thank you for freedom in Christ. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again next Sunday.